Hello, and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast, produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. On this episode of Leading in Times and Challenge, we are joined by Dr. Mary Chapman, and I will let her introduce herself, but I will start off by saying she's uh, the retired Vice President for Community and Workforce Partnerships at DMAC here in Des Moines, and she's involved in several programs within the community, and I'll let her get into those, um, you know, but I just want to set it up to say that she is retired, but even though she's retired, she's very, very busy, very, very active in the community, and we are glad that she was able to take the time today uh, to sit down and chat with us. So with that being said, Dr. Chapman, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for including me uh, in this conversation. As you mentioned, I'm retired, but um, I've had a very rewarding career um, in education. Um, I had various leadership responsibilities from not only, I guess some people don't think about leadership in the classroom, but I felt like um, leadership was uh, being engaged with making things happen within your classroom. But uh, in my leadership role at at DMAC, uh, while I was there, um, I enjoyed um, being the um, executive dean at the urban campus, um, working with students and um, um, providing, updating various curriculums uh, and meeting student needs. Um, While I was at DMAC, I also, uh, in addition to uh, being the executive dean, that's how I started my career at DMAC uh, as the executive dean of the urban campus. But then um, uh, I assumed the role of uh, vice president of community and workforce partnerships, as Mike, um, as you mentioned, Mike, and um, providing leadership in in various roles uh, in establishing partnerships across the community um, in connecting uh, underserved and marginalized populations um, with uh, connecting them with uh, opportunities there at DMAC. Um, so just um, uh, enjoyed a, a wonderful education career and um, at DMAC. But with my professional career, I, I've, I've always been involved in the community, uh, engaged in, in various community initiatives um, from you know, working with nonprofits like Urban Dreams um, uh, on their board to governance uh, work um, like at Simpson College on the board there uh, with the Iowa Board of Corrections. Um, I'm a board member there. But then also and uh, other various um, boards that I enjoy, like the cultural and the arts, mm-hmm. uh, being involved with the uh, Public Art Foundation and Hoyt Sherman Foundation. And of course, the art festival, uh, Des Moines Arts Festival, which uh, with, with COVID-19 uh, has really changed um, uh, how uh, uh, some of the, the cultural and, uh, events in the community having to do them differently. Absolutely. Um, yes. Uh, but, you know, in addition to that, I, I um, being involved, not only serving, you know, on boards, but just the, the looking at what needs to happen in the community. And, and so I had the pleasure of working with uh, various strategic planning initiatives, which I'm not 
sure if you remember um, the major projects task force, which was a community uh, strategic planning initiative that where the Science Center and uh, the Botanical Gardens were two of the uh, major projects that evolved from that study mm-hmm. that that I was involved in in that time um, to the current time of you know being on the Capitol Crossroads, which when that began several years ago, um, it still is having an impact on um, changing the landscape in the community. Um, as we uh, address the changing needs and, and the challenges in the community, so I just I just feel so fortunate and blessed to um, uh, to be in, engaged in a community that is vibrant and um, and sharing um, my knowledge, my skills, um, and leadership to uh, to just just keep the community advancing. So enjoying that. And thank you for sharing that background with us. And, and you touched on it here a little bit. You, you mentioned, I heard you say the word challenge. Uh, so that kind of leads into my next question. Given some of the, the different roles, whether they've been community-based or, you know, through your career and time at DMAC, is there a challenge or two that, that sticks out in one of those areas uh, that, you, that you went through? And if so, what, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, that's an interesting question. And I know I only asked for just one, and I know you've had a bunch of them considering some of the roles you've been in, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and then as, as a leader, you know, there, um, especially in education, you're always faced with different challenges, whether it's, you know, not having enough funding, you know, with the budget cuts with education, um, and like at DMAC, like uh, uh, the challenges of enrollment, um, uh, a student achievement. So there's various challenges, but as I was, you know, just trying to recall, you know, what, what was one of those challenges that um, I dealt with, with my, with uh, my staff, as we looked at working with um, increasing access for first generation uh, students at, at DMAC. So I just, I just remember that um, there was one uh, time where um we were finding in working with students, especially first-generation students, getting them engaged in the college, we were finding that um, some of them were having challenges in terms of either attendance. I mean, we got them enrolled in school, but keeping them became another challenge, and that was we could see that in, uh, reflected by attendance or just not completing what, it, what they needed to complete. So once we uh, looked at that, then the challenge was um, we had a multi-campus system at DMAC and multiple departments involved with students. Um, and we were finding that students were, there was this communication challenge. And um, because DMAC was so co- is, you know, complex, um, people, uh, we were finding staff that are doing their job, but it's, in isolated ways, silos. And so that challenge was how do you, you know, link these up, link services for students uh, across the college in a seamless way and also connect with the community uh, because these students were connecting with the community uh, or were getting needs met by organizations within the community. So um, the challenge was how do you address an issue like this where you're linking, you need to link 
these support services for students internally and externally. And this is and in an area where I have no oversight over, you right. know, no standard control, no influence. And um, then you're talking about multiple, you know, the diversity in uh, personality and experiences of the staff, um, ideologies. And so the re- so what we found that we had to do, the challenge was how in bringing people together, breaking down those silos and um, uh, in a seamless kind of way so that you could create a support system for these students. And that is challenging because of um, the first thing that I had to do was then to not only, well, to clearly identify what the issue was and then identify um, who were the key stakeholders that need to be involved. And um, that meant uh, reaching out across the college and in the community and pulling key stakeholders together. But then also I had to find a way of, well, I had to also meet with, uh, get the supervisors to agree that were uh, the key stakeholders that I identified that were in other departments. I had to get their willingness to participate in uh, helping to address this issue and um, and getting their engagement in uh, addressing this. So we did, we came, I pulled the individuals together got the supervisors of individuals that or uh, departments that needed to work, that I needed to work with to come up with a resolve to this issue. Um, And I found that um, you needed to identify who was close, close to this issue that needed to be addressed, as well as any anyone else, if anyone else was missing, they had to identify who else was missing. So uh, we met, um, got the key stakeholders together. We met and we met weekly because it was important to uh, the, the immediacy of this issue. We had to meet weekly. Um, we had to meet with whoever showed up because everyone was busy. Right. And um, um, so you had to be cognizant of their time. Um, and so we got that willingness, and then we found that technology at that time, technology uh, was very important in um, reducing the amount of time and the workload that the staff was feeling. That oh, I can't take on another take on another thing. Right. Um, so that's where technology came in to address that issue. So that meant we needed a tech technology, a systems integration person involved and um, willing to do that. And um, and we was we were able to find someone, uh, a staff person that that met with us, uh, developed, helped to develop a tool that would a communication tool where we could if wherever the students would go throughout the college, uh, there could be notes taken where the staff could go into this tool and they could see where that student had been in the college and what happened uh, with that transaction with the student so that they would know how to continue with the student. So um, this coming to bringing divergent people together to um, resolve an issue 
um, that was that was uh, a key to this to this challenge of uh, breaking down those you know breaking down the silos and creating a seamless kind of effort in supporting students. Yep, makes perfect sense, and and that kind of actually piggybacks off of my next question is, you know, because you had those different ideologies and opinions and scheduling flows to work with and and those types of things as a leader how do you how do you corral all of that together and then try to make the the best decision to to benefit the most people what are what are some of the ways that you kind of what are, what are some of the things you had to do to get your team on the same page despite the fact that they may not have all agreed either with your ideology or with some other ideas that were being tossed around? How do you get the buy-in from your team? Well, it it takes a lot of listening. You know, it's a a lot of listening to where everyone was coming from, getting their point of view. Um, And as a leader, you know, being comfortable with where everyone is, uh, comfortable with that change, that, 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 uncertainty uh, because you want everyone to be on the same page. And so you, you listen, you have the patience, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be overnight because you've got to be redundant in in a certain way because you're um, keeping repeating why it's important, why this issue is important, why the the value of what we're doing. And so having, uh, I found that being comfortable with, uh, where everyone is with their perspective, doing a lot of listening, and then acknowledging of where where they are, acknowledging their experience, acknowledging their contribution, and and the relationships, the communication. I guess the communication is important um, as a leader. When I say doing a lot of listening, but then also communicating back, um, acknowledging. Uh, the contributions, acknowledging um, relationships. And that makes that makes perfect sense. So um, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to actually flip flop my last two questions because I think the next question uh, fits in a better space with the comments that you just made um, to, to tie this with some of the challenges that we're facing now. I mean, again, this last month, um, obviously at the time of this recording, this is now the, the end of June uh, almost, um, the last month has seen not only the continuation of the pandemic, but a lot of, um, you know, the, the senseless killings that we've witnessed in, in Minnesota and Atlanta and, and, you know, other crimes and protests and rallies and things like that in across the country. Um, and those are obviously definitely very, very challenging times that we're, we're living through right now. Based on some of the things that you have said that you've learned and, and some of the things you just told us before about, you know, communicating and listening, are those lessons that even though you're retired, you would encourage leaders to use now as we try to fight through these injustices and, and these things that not to, again, not to forget the, the pandemic that we're still in the middle of. Um, would you how would you advise leaders now to to use those lessons that you've learned and to talk about, to help get through, to guide through some of these things. Cause I think you made a really good point about listening. And to me, it doesn't seem like there is a lot of that right now. So I was wondering if you would just talk about maybe that a little bit more. Yeah, that's, that's really, that's um, when I, I when I mentioned listening, um, how does, uh, uh, when I think about 
it's not noise. I mean, there's a lot that's happening in the community, you're right, and a lot that's being said. Um, you, you, we're feeling uh, and seeing the frustrations of, it's almost like history repeating itself. Right. Uh, what we're seeing happening now, it happened a decade ago, two decades ago. I mean, we're thinking 30 years ago, this has happened. And so that demonstrates, I mean, to me, that demonstrates that, yeah, there's been a lot of noise, but has anyone been listening to what has been said? So as a leader, I think it's it's, uh, because we keep repeating the same things, we keep hearing the same things, but and we're but we're hearing different voices. What's different this time is that we're seeing and hearing different voices. It's because we have a new generation that are seeing the same thing occurring uh, when we think about the social injustices. That's what I'm talking about mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's d- through different eyes, um, and so. As a leader, and I, you know, and and as a been around for a long time, to me, it's acting um, to let uh, for it to be demonstrated that you hear what's being said. So um, I I can only be responsible for myself, and I think that's what each, you know, each one has to do is think about themselves, think about what. What is being heard? What does that mean to me as an individual? I've, what am I committed to, uh, to address and to act on what I am hearing in the space that I'm in? So that means that you have to identify and commit to acting on the recommendations that's being said, Um, The, you know, there's a lot that's being advocated for. Um, There's a lot of action plans that have been put out there um, that's being talked about. Um, So I would suggest that uh, we, and I'm, I'm including myself in this we, and that is acting on what is being heard. So whether that is if I was in uh, if I was an employer and I'm looking at my my workforce is my workforce diverse um, does it reflect all of the the differences am I listening to my employees in terms of what they need to be heard in terms of uh, who they are their experiences their backgrounds you know as an educator am I listening to what is needed in terms of my students? What is in my, as an administrator, my teaching staff, my administrators, are they reflective of the students that we're, that we're serving? And it reflects that we hear and we see them. I think that that's key is for everyone to see themselves uh, being in a space, being in a new space. Okay. And, and real quick, because I just thought of another question on top of that. Do you think that is going to require people to become uncomfortable? It is. It You have to be, because in the present state, everyone likes to be comfortable and, um, and safe and secure and at that, in that comfort level, at that comfort level. Yep. 100%. Um, <laughs> yes. So 
to learn something new, to get in a new space, is going to be uncomfortable. Um, and so you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable so that you can, I guess, like transform or be in that new space. Because uh, it is said that, you know, whenever there is change, change means that um, you're changing the norm, something that is stagnant, that is stable, that that for it to for that to change, there has to be that fluctuation, that 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 messy, that messiness that happens mm-hmm. and um, and it's uncomfortable. But then when it re-image, when it re-images itself into this new form, it's for the better and it's going to the change will be what we're looking for. But it will be uncomfortable because I know even with myself, you know, you just have to take that risk to be uncomfortable because you know that's it's to learn new things it is uncomfortable it is uncomfortable not knowing something but then you're learning something new and now use that knowledge use that new information and share it with others um because we are we we you hear everyone saying we're in this together yes we are in this together and how you can show that is to demonstrate things that you, what you are hearing. Um, are you hearing that there are not enough uh, people of color, uh, administrators of color in, you know, corporate leadership, executive leadership? You know, have you looked at that to see, is it real or isn't it? Rather than talking and speaking at, we all, we've heard what we're hearing today, we've heard it for 30 years, Right. Um, the disparities, the inequities. There's been in our community, which is wonderful about Des Moines, is that we're always studying ways to improve. Oh, there's always different um, assessments and surveys and strategic plans. And, uh, and if we pull out all of those studies that have been done, where we have done community scans to see where those inequities are in our community, you will see the same information, but different voices saying that, saying that we need a diverse workforce, saying that we need to raise the minimum wage uh, for the working poor. I can remember when we did a study at DMAC on regarding what it takes to get by and get ahead. And then looking across the community and doing a study of working individuals, of entry-level workers, finding out what it need, what they need to get by and get ahead. I and mean, you will find the same thing mm-hmm. then, 10, 20 years ago, of what you are hearing the studies say today. So to, to, to demonstrate that we hear what's being said today we need to see some results, some visible results, and act on. And we are only responsible for, I mean, we're, we, we have control of who we are and what we have a responsibility for in our space, and we need to do that. We need to act on it.
Absolutely. One, 100,000 percent agree with what you just said. And for, for those of you listening that may not be aware, uh, Dr. Chapman is the real deal. And, and she didn't say this in her bio. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention this about her, um, you know, from my earlier introduction. But uh, she is a 2005 inductee into the Iowa African-American Hall of Fame. She's also a 2013 inductee into the Iowa Women's Hall of Fame and has also been recognized by the business record as a woman of influence, uh, among other many accolades. But I want people to understand the, the magnitude of the work that you do and that that you're the real deal. So uh, for those of you listening, go back again. I know I've said this before in, in former episodes of the podcast, but go back, listen and really understand what she's saying about these different challenges and how to get through them and how we can get through them going forward. Because again, there's a lot of great information in, in the things that she said, and there's a lot of truth to what's being spoken. So uh, with that, Dr. Chapman, I want to thank you personally uh, for, for joining me um, on the podcast today for the, for having this discussion with me. Uh, very eye-opening, very inspiring. And um, you know, anything else before we, before we let you go? Well, I just like to leave these words, Mike. I was reading something that um, that one of the the African American leaders, when you think Fannie Lou Hamer, and some of some of you may remember Fannie Lou Hamer, that was very active in the voting rights movement, and she, you know, she said that, you know, and I feel the same way that she did. Did is that something needs to be done? You know, when you're looking at those challenges, something needs to be done. And I will be a part of doing it. And so that's kind of like the mantra as a leader when we're looking at these challenges is thinking that, yes, something needs to be done. And people are telling us that. But you want to commit yourself to say, I will be a part of doing it. Absolutely. Dr. Chapman, thank you for joining for joining me today on the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.